0: Good evening. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Hey, I want to welcome our live stream audience tonight. Wherever you may be watching, we do have several people who have moved out of state but are a part of our church family. They join us pretty much every time we do a service, and it's really cool to have just a church family all over the country and sometimes even in other countries that join us via live stream. So we are grateful for the technology, and a big thank you to our tech team back there, that uh, makes it all happen. Thank you, guys. And thank you again, Pastor Shane, wherever you went. Pastor Shane, for your faithfulness in leading us in worship. Uh, Before Pastor John comes up, I am Pastor Michael Lance, and it is good to have you here tonight. I think I know just about most of you who have joined us, but if you are new, we want to welcome you. And uh, we do these... we, We originally planned on doing these quarterly, but it's been a little bit more than quarterly. There's so many topics to deal with. And so we kind of break from our normal expository teaching on these evenings, and we get into a topic, and we try to look at that topic from an apologetic point of view. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Always be ready to give a defense, a reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. And so there's a lot of hurting people in our world, and there's a lot of very difficult topics out there that we have to deal with. And we want to take them head on, and we want to deal with them with clarity and compassion. That's really our goal, is to bring truth, but to bring the truth in love. And one of my favorite verses I just want to share with you is about prayer. It's about our great high priest. It says, Hebrews four fifteen and 16 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin, speaking of Jesus. Therefore, in light of this, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you find yourself in a time of need tonight, you're not alone. That's one of the main things I think we want to say is that you're not alone there's a lot of people who struggle with difficult feelings and depression and anxiety and even suicidal thoughts. And if that's you, you are not alone. We are here to minister hope to you. We are not here to beat anybody up. And I tell you, I I just got to know Pastor John just a little bit. and I watched his presentation and uh, he has a wonderful accent, first of all. <laughs> Love it. And you'll you'll hear it in a moment. And he has a pastor's heart. In fact, he is a pastor. And I think that's Part of the beauty of how God has called you, Pastor John, is that I know you didn't pick this topic necessarily, but it came to you. But your pastor's heart comes through, and it's it's really a beautiful thing because I think it's the shepherd's heart coming through as you speak to people. So we are glad you are here. We are glad you are here with your bride tonight, and uh, you have four girls, right? How old are they now? Ten to three. Ten down to three years of age. So you need a lot of prayer. Especially your wife. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's awesome. So Pastor John is a speaker with Stand to Reason, which is an apologetics ministry here in Southern California. Great ministry. So everybody, let's welcome Pastor John Noyes. And as Pastor is uh, getting into the pulpit, let's pray for him. (laughs) Father, thank you for Pastor John and his family. Thank you for him uh, having such a great pastor's heart. Thank you for him answering the call on a difficult topic. May you minister through him, anoint him, bless him, and thank you for him. And I pray tonight would be just a wonderful night of ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Praise the Lord. Thank you for that introduction. I am here. I got to make sure I get my timer out because I am a preacher. Some of you apparently know what that means. That means I've never spoken for under two hours, and it always ends in an altar call. So, no, I am a a privileged man, Uh, a a husband of a beautiful wife, a father of four young girls, able to travel the country now, uh, speaking on really difficult topics. Uh, This uh, being one of them, for, for many of us tonight... Uh, this is actually going to be, if you get my slides up, this is going to be one of probably the more important topics that you guys hear about. Uh, it, it has nothing to do with me. It has absolutely nothing to do with this slick presentation that we just popped up on the screen. But it has everything to do with maybe where you find yourself this evening, or where a friend or a loved one of yours finds themselves uh, this evening. It's something that perhaps you guys are facing right now. You know, I, I, I like to think about this as we begin our, our journey into thinking biblically about suicide. I like to think of the great hymn writer, John Newton. Do you guys know who John Newton was? Yes. I got to feel your love up here, friends. Do you guys know who John Newton was? Yes. Yeah, right. He wrote, uh, he wrote that amazing hymn, "Amazing Grace." It's filled with words that resound with hope. The Lord hath promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. His will, my shield and portion, be as long as life endures. These are sweet. They're encouraging words. I, even now, reading them, I, I've, read this, I've read these words to audiences just like yourselves a dozen times, and my hair still stands up on my arms. They affect you. They resound in, 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 in something otherworldly within you. They're somehow more than just words. And, but a name that you may not know is William Cowper. You know, uh, some of you in this room may know him as a, as a famous hymnist, but what most don't understand or know is that he was John Newton's best friend, and he wrote these words, encompassed with a thousand dangers, weary, faint, trembling, with a thousand terrors, I in a fleshly tomb and buried above ground. This is a man who struggled through life with thoughts of depression, suicide, and he was lucky that he had such a good friend in John Newton because as William uh, Cowper was Was plagued by these things, these thoughts. John Newton, on many occasions, was able to talk with him and pray with him and reassure him of the promises of God. And he saved his life more than just once. William Cowper, he had a friend, and that friend made all the difference in the world. I want to be really clear as we start our talk. There are some of you right now watching online, there are some of you right now in this auditorium who love Jesus and you're struggling like William Cowper. There are some of you right now who are watching online or in this audience who know somebody who loves Jesus, but they're struggling with thoughts of suicide, There's some of us in this audience, my third group, maybe you're online watching, or maybe you're here right now tonight, and you know nothing of Jesus. Maybe you find yourself very far and heavy laden, burdened by a life gone uh, awry, not according to your plan, and you're struggling with this. The point of of me saying all of this, and the point of, of me bringing this up, is the fact that you are not... Alone, As your pastor said this evening, you are not alone. And if that's the only thing that you bring away from our discussion this evening, you need to understand there are people around you who understand exactly what you're going through. Whatever group of those three I just mentioned you represent, whatever one you find yourself in, This talk this evening is meant for you. My goal tonight is to to give you guys some very practical tools to have a very difficult conversation with some people that you might love more than anything in this world. I'm going to do this mainly by addressing three points. Why? Because I'm a pastor at heart, and what would a talk be without three points starting with the same letter? (laughs) took me longer to come up with these than anything else in the talk. We're going to start with why is this important, and then we're going to talk about why do people contemplate suicide, and then we're going to talk about what can we do. You'll notice it's two whys followed by a what, and as I, as I get going, I want you to know I am, I am a preacher at heart, so I get going, and I hope I don't get going too fast, but I'm also from New England, if you haven't uh, noticed, and we talk real fast. So I'll try to stay calm and slow down because because this, in my opinion, church, in my opinion, this is one of the most important topics any of us can discuss. It's at the center of our culture right now. Why do I say this? Because of the data. Statistics don't lie. They tell us the truth. We live at a time right now, in the last 20 years, suicide rates have risen by more than 30%. It's the number two leading cause of death for those aged 10 to 34. The current statistic before COVID-19, the statistic was that 12% of college students uh, were gonna contemplate committing suicide. When I say contemplate suicide, that means coming up with a detailed plan, when, where, and how. More than 800,000 people every year die by suicide. These numbers are staggering, and they're only increasing. I've, met, I've read so many reports as COVID-19 has hit our nation. You read from reports from major hospitals. Within the first three months of COVID, emergency rooms received more visits in just those three months for suicide-related uh, um, incidents than they did all last year. A study by the CDC, which was released just four or five weeks ago now, uh, they surveyed 5,000 college-age students, and you know what they found? They found that 25% of those surveyed contemplated suicide in the first month of this pandemic. I need us to wrap our minds around that, friends. 25% of those aged 18 to 24 contemplated suicide within the first month of this pandemic. You know, more than 110 people take their lives every single day. That's four every hour. That means by the time I uh, get off of this stage at least one, if you're lucky, (laughs) just one, person will have taken their own life. Why is this important? It's important to understand that this this is more common than any of us would think, and this is part of the secret that we need to let out of the bottle here. You are not alone. If these are your thoughts, if you wrestle with this, you're not alone. Statistics don't lie. The statistics tell us that you are most likely sitting in a room with people who understand exactly where you are. It's what we do with that, that matters. You might feel like you're, you're alone, but you're not. Don't believe that lie. For me, my, well, my first call as a pastor six or seven years ago was from a distraught mom and dad. This is my first call. I've been a pastor for seven weeks. Coming from a law firm. Mom and dad called our emergency line at our church. Our adult son has locked himself in, a, in our bedroom with his gun and he's threatening to kill himself. What do we do? Whew. Things got heavy real fast. Luckily, through prayer and, and a lot of help, actually, actually their son now heads up a, a rehab facility in downtown L.A., has a happy ending. But they don't always. Uh, this is Derek. Uh, he's my cousin. Derek... Uh, Derek died by suicide on January twenty third, 2011. He shot himself in his head with, uh, with his wife and son in the next room. While I was doing my main research for this, uh, this project, that the, the culmination you're seeing here before you, uh, you'll see Stephen there. Stephen was one of my first roommates as I moved to California. He was amazing, a good friend, beautiful wife, four-year-old boy. He committed suicide last June. You see, this issue was, wasn't one that I've ever planned on speaking on, but, but, but how can I not? Because this issue touches us all, every single one of us. It's touched me in a very real way, as you see on the screen behind you, and there's so many more I could put up there, and it's touched you, I think, in a very similar way if we think about it. And let me also be clear at the onset of our conversation, friends, I don't come here today uh, as anything special. I, I don't come as a, as a trained apologist, a theologian. I don't come to you even as a, as a pastor or an expert in, in really anything. I just come to you as, as a man who's been affected by suicide in his own life. Lots of people have been affected by this issue. We just don't ever talk about it. And if we think about that fact, it's, it's often, uh, it's very similar to abortion. You know, for, for the longest time, uh, abortion was, was, was relegated to the dark corners of our churches even. Don't talk about that. Certainly the dark corners of our culture, but we saw what happened as we started bringing the conversation to the culture, as we started talking about the issue, the light was shed on those dark corners and lives were saved. And I think the same thing can happen with suicide. It's this dark issue that we've pushed to the corners of our places that we like to go, and and we don't want to talk about it, but we we need to open that box. We need to let the light of the gospel shine on this issue, and lives will be saved. You see, why is this important? We need to let these kinds of issues break our hearts, and as they break our hearts, we need to move towards them with the truth of who we are of, according to the true story of reality. We have to allow the compassion of, of, of that and the love of the gospel lead us towards other people. As we pursue the answer to that, I think everybody, to the question that everybody is asking themselves right now, why do people contemplate suicide? You you see a bunch of reasons up there, but one main reason. It's interesting, in the literature, when you're doing your research on suicide, you hear a lot of reasons, but then at the conclusion, there isn't one. We don't really know. I think we do Some of the reasons could be that there's a a closing in of of circumstances on one's life, and and they just can't take it anymore. And and, uh, sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's relational. You'll see them up there, substance use and abuse. They often uh, play into it as well. Other reasons, their anger, jealousy, depression, self-pity, pride, shame, guilt, revenge, escape from pain, loneliness, isolation, rejection, loss of status or power, autonomy. The list goes on and on and on, but ultimately, the answer to this question why do people contemplate suicide finds its beginning in a lie that every single person believes that does die by suicide, and that is that they're better off dead than they are alive. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie. Why do they believe that though? Well, because they lose hope in this life. They survey the circumstances that they find themselves and they can't find a way out. You know, the answer as we as we seek it, why do people lose hope? It varies also according to worldview. And this is this is where I like the traffic, right? Christian apologist guy. Worldview is important. Christians and non-Christians both, we 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 all struggle with with loss of hope, but but for different reasons, I think. So I'd like to look at, at, at both of these reasons here for the non-believer and, and the believer alike. And we're going to start with the, with the non-Christian if that's okay. Is that okay, guys? Do you guys love me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <sighs> I'll tell you what, I'm sweating up here. And I just started. I think the first thing that comes to everybody's mind when we start talking about, about suicide, what do you guys think it is? Somebody commits suicide. What do you go, Where's your mind go? Mental health, right? Mental health. That's where my mind went. There must have been a, a mental illness, and 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 that fact is in. But but the statistics. We got to go back to the data, friends. The statistics don't lie. Fifty-four percent of those who die by suicide have not been previously diagnosed with a mental illness. And then at the same time, as we see that statistic there and we see the statistics of suicide rise, uh, we, we, we have never had uh, a, a better understanding of how the brain works than we ever have. You know, in the last 20, 20 plus years, we've, we've seen amazing strides in medical advances, we're able to treat anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder better than at any other time in history. We know more about how your inside head works than ever before. Then why are we seeing dramatic increases in suicide? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? Because because the, we, we would think as the as as clinical capacity to deal with this topic increases, we should see suicides decrease, and that's just not what we're seeing. In the course of of my study and and reading the literature, I I find this, uh, it's just so clear. It's become become so clear that as the Judeo-Christian influences uh, wax and wane in our culture, mainly wane, You see, suicide rates skyrocket. You see, there's there's been a shift of ideas, friends, and ideas have consequences. So let me talk about naturalism a little bit. Or I'll have a question. Naturalism is is this idea uh, that... All that exists is, is the physical realm. And, and, everything, and everything is, is merely uh, a, a result of a physical or naturalistic process. You know, one famous naturalist and atheist, he says, the nitrogen in our DNA, the calcium in our teeth, the iron in our blood, the carbon in our apple pies were made in the interiors of collapsing stars. He says we're made of star stuff, that's star stuff if you're taking notes. (laughs) You see on naturalism, we're simply just a random quantification of molecules dancing to our DNA where meat suits in motion. This matters because our worldview it influences how we answer life's biggest questions. You know, questions of meaning, questions of purpose, questions of origins and destiny, questions of morality, questions of identity. Who are you? And on this view, naturalism, it's hard to see. It's hard for me to see, even now, I'm, I'm, my mind is racing, it's hard for me to see how anything at all can have meaning, including us. If we're just random molecules bouncing into each other, meat suits in motion, how are we valuable? How do we answer the questions of meaning and purpose? And how do we do it if, 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 if everything that ever is or, or, or was or will be is just staff stuff? Where do we derive hope? If that's true, William Provine, he's now gone, he's a, he's a professor at Cornell and, and he's a, uh, a committed atheist naturalist. Uh, he, was, he was very candid when he said this, Uh, No gods, no life after death, no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life, no human free will are deeply connected to the evolutionary perspective. He's not the only one. Richard Dawkins. We all know Richard. Well, I don't know him, I've read him. One thing about him, at least he's honest when he says this, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, uh, the, the blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Listen to this. Some people are going to get hurt. Other people, they're going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason about it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, Nothing but pitiless indifference. You see, naturalism tells us that, that life is solitary, poor, brutish, and, 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 and short. That's from Leviathan, Thomas Hobbes, a committed atheist. We're told that it's a, it's a dog-eat-dog world, friends. That's, that's what they're going to tell us. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and we better get busy living, or we get, better get busy dying, and it doesn't matter which one you choose because you can't derive meaning or purpose to that life. And, and, and then the search for hope, friends, the search for hope, it finds its ends ultimately in ourselves. Our human effort. We're pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, searching for, for hope and, and more education and, and, and power and fame and money and sex. This is where we're turning to. But what happens when we fail, friends? What happens when we fail? We got to go back to more education, more power, more money, more sex. But what happens when we fail? more power, more education. It's just a cycle and it continues forever and you get exhausted. And we've seen this played out so many times in our generation. Friends, you see the faces on the screen. We've got David Carradine, Robin Williams, Anthony Bourdain. You've you've got Kirk Cobain, Junior Seau, Dave Mira, Avicii, Heath Ledger, Chris Cornell, and up in the corner, up in the corner over there, whatever side that is for you guys. That's Kelly Catlin, 18 years old, an Olympic gold medalist, reached the pinnacle of her career, and then she killed herself. People reaching what's supposed to give them the most satisfaction. And when they get there, when they get to that mountaintop, what's there? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. See, naturalism, friends, naturalism, in the end, it just simply can't deliver on the promises it makes, and and at its bottom is is a materialistic, narcissistic view of reality that leaves its proponents completely empty, and it's out of that emptiness that they believe the lie that they're better off dead than alive. Friends, I know these things because uh, I'm a man that, that, that's, um, I'm not only a pastor and a speaker with standard reason, but I'm a man who, who's been changed by, uh, dramatically by, by, by the grace of God. I've experienced this grace because I used to be a naturalist just, what, 13 years ago. I tried to push the boundaries of, of naturalism. I, I tried to live consistently with my worldview, and, and before Christ introduced Himself to me, and I'll tell you what: as I tried to live consistently with that worldview, things got very dark, very quick. If we're going to be continue being honest with you tonight, friends. When I got word of Ronzo, my friend from high school who killed himself as I was walking down the streets of D.C., I remember my sister calling me, Ronzo hung himself in his closet. My response was anger, how selfish. You notice when I say that, it's me scented? No pity not even real pain, selfishness. But I was being consistent with my worldview. That's where I was. I was without hope, friends. But, but, but there is a hope, and it's a hope that's available to all people. It's a hope that's found outside of ourselves and in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. I just didn't know that yet. We live in a fallen world. World, And that is, that is the reality, that is the truth. And because we live in that fallen world, friends, it's not just a non-Christian who, who, who wrestles with suicide. You know, just because we're a Christian doesn't mean we're not susceptible to the lies of the world around us. I love Paul. I'm told that this is a Bible preaching church. Let's preach some Bible. Paul says this He says, Be careful how you walk. Listen, listen. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, because the days are evil. We need to live circumspectly, friends. That's what Paul's getting at. We need to be cautious, we need to be vigilant. Paul says that that we need to always be on alert. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. These are the truths of reality. Christian, you might be struggling with this issue personally or or maybe you have a friend who's struggling with it, but you're not alone. I want to encourage us to always have our eyes wide open open in order to confront the reality that we too struggle in this life, even to the point of wanting to give up and die. We've seen it here in Southern California in a very, very real way right here in your neck of the woods. Two pastors, Jared Wilson, associate pastor at Harvest Christian Fellowship, right down the road, right? died by suicide He's in the green jacket. Andrew Stockline of Inland Hills Church in Chino. Young men who loved Jesus, believed the lie that they were better off dead than alive. You know some of us in this room, we have friends who have attempted. Suicide. Some of us in this room ourselves have attempted suicide. We're not exempt. Life is hard. Do you guys know this? Life is stinking hard. Especially right now, life is hard. I got four girls. There's somebody always crying in my house, and it's usually me. (laughs) Curled up in the fetal position over in the corner, friends. Life is hard. Wait till they're teenagers is what I'm told. I'm out of (laughs) here. Yeah. (laughs) Four weddings. Friends, naturalism, okay, so naturalism at its core, we just saw it, at its core, it's hopeless. It, 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 it's not able to prescribe ultimate meaning and, and purpose to anybody's life, but the Christian worldview, our worldview, presumably, if, if we're all Christians sitting in this room, if you're a Christian watching online, presumably, our worldview, its central message is one of meaning, purpose, and hope. So now what causes a believer in, in, in Christ to lose hope? What causes that, that person to, to believe this lie? I think it has something to do with one of the two things, maybe both of them, on your screen. The first is that that life just becomes uh, overwhelming due to, due to loss and trials. You don't see a way out. And the second is to do with legalism. We're gonna hit one up at a time. Now, it's, 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 it's my heart right now, my desire As we turn our attention to understanding why the believer contemplates suicide, I want to share with you the realities of the world we live in and and how we respond as Christ's ambassadors when the days are particularly evil. Because the days are evil. So in God's word we clearly see seven examples of, of people committing suicide. Uh, there are six in the Old Testament. There's one in the New Testament. Uh, who's the one in the New Testament? This is the participatory part of the program. <laughs> awesome, guys, yes. I'm just checking to make sure you're awake. Yeah, Judas. We'll get to him in a second. In the Old Testament, uh, there, there's, there's five examples of, of men who, uh, when, when, when their lives were characterized by, by great heartache, guilt, loss, and struggle, they each had some baggage and, and pain they were carrying around, so much so that they were hopeless and they took their own lives. You know, uh, when I think about Judas... The true, the true tragedy of Judas's life isn't, isn't for me that he he hung himself on that tree. It's, it, it's that he betrayed his, his his rabbi, he betrayed his best friend, but all he had to do was go back to Jesus and say, I'm sorry. And Jesus would have forgiven him on the spot. And that just breaks my heart. That that he would be oh so overwhelmed by the guilt and the shame of what he had just done that he saw no other way out than to throw a rope over a branch, wrap it around his neck and jump when all he needed to do was say I'm sorry to his master. It breaks my heart. So these are the examples of people in the Bible who lost, uh, who, who lost hope and, 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 and they took their own lives due to overwhelming burdens, guilt, loss, and trials. But there's some examples of, of uh, people who suffered incredible loss. I mean incredible loss and trials so great that they too wanted to die, but they chose not to. So, so can we go through those now? Yeah? Let's go through those. Let's, let's, see, let's see who these people are. First we have, we have Solomon. Solomon. We have Solomon. We all know who Solomon was, right? He's the son of David and Bathsheba. He's the great king of Israel. He, he, uh, he, he was blessed with wisdom, power, and money. He had so much promise, but, but, uh, but he wasted so much of his life on, on sin and pleasure. You know, so much that, that as he became older and he authored that book that starts with the words Vanity of Vanities. All is vanity. He's saying... In Ecclesiastes, that everything is meaningless, he, he, he would say in 2.17 that, that I hate life for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me. Everything is futile and striving after the wind. This is God's chosen king, friends. This is God's chosen king who said these things. He's, he's saying that life is meaningless. Even the things I'm pursuing, it's like chasing after the wind, I can never catch it. There's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no rhyme, there's no reason to why I'm doing this thing. He's saying I hate life. But it wasn't just Solomon, though. It wasn't just Solomon, and this is one of my favorite uh, characters. Oh no, no! Close your eyes, (laughs) guys. Do you guys do you guys remember who Elijah was? That Old Testament prophet, pastor, right? He's up on Mount Carmel. He's up on Mount Carmel, he's, he's, he's uh, taken on the prophets of Baal, he's, he, and, and, and he's up there, and then the children of Israel are all around them, intertwining themselves with these, uh, with these worshipers of false gods, and, and they're singing, and they're dancing, and they're cutting themselves, and they're, and they're trying to worship these, these gods. But did they answer them back? Why? Because as they danced and cut themselves, as they called out, their passion, no matter how much passion, didn't make their gods real, and false gods never answer back. They always remain silent. Friends, idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. This is when Elijah... (laughs) Elijah sees what's going on there. Thousands and thousands of people worshiping these false gods and he goes up to their altars and he rains fire down from the sky to consume them. Do you remember what happens in the next chapter? Sometimes we forget this. 19, 1 Kings 19, Elijah is found running from the queen, this, this prophet of God. He just called f- fire down from the sky. He just destroyed these false idols, right? The, uh, he, he, he's, he's seen running from the queen, hiding. And it says this that he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. I have no idea what a juniper tree is, but he sat there. And, and he, Elijah, he requested for himself that he might die. This is one of the most pow- powerful prophets who ever lived, uh, the most powerful prophets of the true and living God, who just one chapter after experiencing such an amazing victory says these words It's, it's enough now, O Lord, take my life, is what he says. So he prayed that he'd die. Overwhelming challenges. Couldn't get himself outside of the moment. He wanted to end it. What about Jonah? We all love Jonah, hopefully not just from VeggieTale fame. But, uh, but I think we remember, we remember Jonah, right? Why he's called by God to go to Nineveh to, to, to preach and lead a revival. And a, he immediately ran in the opposite direction, only to end up in the belly of a big fish before being vomited up onto the shores of that city. Do we remember this story? He's, he's finding himself far away. He's far away from home against his will. He's in a place he hated. He's, he's among people he despised. And he's asked to do something uh, he didn't want to do. Listen to what Jonah says. Jonah wanted to die, and he said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. Does that sound familiar? Believe in that same old lie. Jonah found himself believing a lie, and, and without hope, he wanted desperately to get out of the circumstances in which he found himself. So desperate, he's willing to die to escape them. But it's not just the saints of the Old Testament, don't think this is an Old Testament problem. New Testament, too. Let's look at Paul. A fearless apostle, he went on so many missionary journeys, wrote, the, written, wrote the, a large portion of the New Testament. But in 2 Corinthians chapter one, Paul says, "For for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of the affliction that came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despised even of life." You see Paul do the trials and experiencing loss, expressing his desire for it all just to end. So friends, here we have uh, four examples of believers, followers of God who when life's circumstances simply got to be too much, when they were faced with losses and trials, they wanted to die. But you know why? I just want to know what the great testimony of their life is. The great testimony of their life is they said no. And they pressed on. Friends, that aging King Solomon, he pressed on. On Elijah the prophet, he pressed on. Uh, Jonah, he pressed on. Paul, he pressed on. And and, and then through the darkness of their life, like they saw the glory of the gospel resound and shine into everything. I mean, just look at what they did. You know, Elijah, he went on to, to, to pass the baton to Elijah, who did so many incredible things. And Jonah, too, yeah, after finding himself in that place he didn't want to be with with people he hated, he asked God to take his life. And what happened? What happened? He preached to Nineveh, and he led a revival. And the Bible tells us that every soul was saved. Whew. unbelievable what about the apostle paul yeah he despaired even of life but but if we continue to read his words he says this he says indeed we felt we have received the sentence of death but this happens listen to these words that but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on god who raises the dead friends our god does that he raises the dead Paul and his companions finding hope in the midst of their circumstances by leaning in on God and his promises. You know, Paul tells us so often, right? I love this. For momentary light afflictions are producing us eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Far beyond all comparison. Notice there's two things going on here in this verse. The first is, yes, these things are momentary light afflictions, okay? But that's not comforting to me when I'm in the middle of something, this too shall pass. <laughs> <laughs> but notice he's pointing us beyond our circumstances and he's pointing us to an eternal timeline where the truth is this too shall pass. But he's also doing something else. Paul's reminding us that, uh, that yeah, the, the, the moments that we find ourselves in are, are, are temporary. But those afflictions, they, they, they're creating in something, something in us that otherwise wouldn't be there. You see, these afflictions, these pains, these trials, these, these discomforts. they're not there for naught. God is not punishing us through them, friends. Maybe He's growing us. Maybe He's preparing us, is what Paul's saying here. And ultimately, he's, he's using our afflictions to prepare us for glory, for heaven. You know, Paul's going to go on, and I love this verse too, he's going to go on and write, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, pointing us through our trials, through our circumstances, through our loss, and to Jesus Christ and, and the hope of his cross, friends. That's where Paul's pointing us to, to that old rugged cross on Calvary. Let me say, friends, if you're here and you find yourself heavy laden with sin, and in many sins maybe, Maybe you're being crushed under the weight of your sins. Press on. If you find yourselves here this evening or online right now watching us, if you find yourselves here uh, this evening uh, and, and, and you are in despair because of the circumstances, you find yourself and press on, please. Press on because there is hope. I promise you, when you press on, hope will be restored. I promise you that, Christian. That is the truth. Press on. But there's another reason, and I got to start going really fast. It's the idea that our relationship uh, with God is ultimately dependent on a system of, of do's and don'ts. And this is legalism. You know, so what we do is we take this system of do's and don'ts and we place it on top of, uh, on top of the grace of God. You know, oftentimes it's demonstrated by the Christian who's constantly measuring themselves up uh, to, to something or, or maybe he's measuring himself up or herself up, up to somebody else. Maybe he's measuring himself or herself up to the standard of the law, but friends, let me tell you right now that you never measure up. That's the point of the gospel. That's the point of the cross. We can't ever measure up. The law is a teacher. It points us to our need for a Savior. We need to understand this, friends. We need to understand that we never measure up, and that's okay. Okay. It has very little to do with our performance. It has everything to do with the grace of God found in Christ Jesus. You know, the Apostle John says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The psalmist, oh, I love these words. Out of the depths I've cried to you, hear my voice. If you, Lord, should mock iniquities. Oh, Lord, who could stand there is forgiveness with you, is what the psalmist says. Here we see the mercy of God is found in the forgiveness of sins. God doesn't keep a record of right and wrong. He, 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 if he did, nobody could stand. Not one of us would pass judgment by a holy and a just God, apart from the grace of God. We can't live up to his standards. There's not one person, friends, who can live up to the standard of the law. And when we lean towards legalism, when we lean towards legalism, we exhaust ourselves. We exhaust ourselves into hopelessness. And it's then we, we start to believe that lie, you're better off dead than alive. You never measure up. You might as well just end it. And it's a lie. It's a lie from Satan. He's lying to you, if that's what you're thinking, friends. He's lying to you right now. We have to remind each other, yes, we all fall short of the glory of God. But equally true, equally true are these words, these words by Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, King David. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love and kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Friends, if God were the mark of iniquities, not one of us could stand. It's not about living by a set of rules. God's love for his children, for you and for me. Did you guys, Christian, do you know that you're God's child? Did you know that you were adopted into the kingdom of God? Oh, there's so much to say. What's God's? Just say it. I'm sorry? Everything. <laughs> yes, A plus. <laughs> everything, and, and, and the scriptures tell us that everything that, that is God's will be as. That means what's gonna be as? <laughs> everything. We're fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters. Do not confuse the moment with the story. Do not allow your current circumstances to weight you down. Do not allow the devil to be whispering that you don't measure up. You don't have to. Jesus died for you, friends. I'm so far off my notes, it's not even funny. I'm glad you love me, (laughs) friends. It's out of legalism. It comes the question that I get the most. I guarantee you, it's already in in the in the in the feed or whatever it is, the app. Can a, can a Christian commit suicide and still go to heaven? And this, this question breaks my heart. There's this idea that, that, that if a Christian finds himself in, in such disarray and, and believing the lie and so stressed out and, and just wanting to end it all that he takes his own life that somehow he doesn't end up in heaven. And let me just be clear right now. It's this idea that, that, that because he wasn't able to repent of that sin, he's somehow no longer eligible for the grace of God which was promised to him through Jesus Christ. But for friends, according to the Bible, the manner in which a person dies has no determination as to whether a person goes to heaven or hell. Let me ask you this, just let's make it clear, because I know some of you aren't loving me right now. If an unbeliever, if an unbeliever takes his own life by suicide, does he go to heaven or hell? Which one? Why? Did it have to do with his suicide? If a believer who trusts Jesus for his salvation dies by suicide, it's not the suicide that determines whether he goes to heaven or hell, friends. It's what he does with Jesus. Jesus. God's not gonna ask you, God is not gonna ask you how you died when you stand before Him. He's gonna say, What did you do with my son? That's all that matters. We need to get rid of this lie. Yes, friends, and this is another question I get suicide's a serious sin. It's self murder, it's suicide. It's never the answer. We never pursue sin as Christians intentionally. Paul addresses this all over Romans. Should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Paul says, may it never be. Suicide's a sin, but it doesn't determine your eternal destiny. It doesn't. Friends, I want to be convinced of these words just as Paul was. Neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Believer, brother, sister, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. Don't believe the lies. I'm not preaching a cheap grace either. We can get to that in Q&A if you'd like. Oh man, it's, it, it's, it's in these things that we're talking about tonight that this undying hope that we all need is found. So, we've seen why, why people might contemplate suicide from the non believer side and, the, and then in the believer side. Let's spend my last maybe three minutes here. I'm going over. I'm really sorry. I really am sorry. <laughs> I told you it would happen. <laughs> <laughs> we're used to it. <laughs> that, that man just lost his salvation. <laughs> yeah, you just lost a crown, buddy. <laughs> Friends, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean uh, we're exempt from that struggle that's life. Uh, The presence of trials and and loss, it sometimes results in at least momentary losing hope. It does. That's the truth of the matter. But as we press on through those things, hope is eventually restored. I love Jesus' words in John. He says, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. Why? Yeah. I have overcome the world and friends legalism it, it it crushes that hope as we try to live according to a a standard that we're not we're not supposed to live to now let's talk about the what question okay what can we do let's get practical What can I do to help? Well, first thing is to remember that you're not alone. Uh, there's a lot of people who, who can not only help if you're struggling like this, there's not, a, there's not only a lot of people who can help, but there's a lot of people who understand exactly where you are. And not only that, but because they were where you are, they wanna help you so bad. So my first piece of advice, friends, is, is the most difficult thing to do, but it's simple. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. I know that's so hard to do. I really do. I know it's so hard. But you got to. It's too important not to. It's too important. Believe a non-believer. It doesn't matter. Reach out. Find a teacher, a coworker, a parent, a loved one, a husband, a wife, a pastor, anybody, and talk to them about it. Let them know. You know, one of the lies that, that, that we face as Christians is, is that life isn't going to be as hard as it is. I mean, I remember when I became a Christian, I thought, oh boy, everything's going to get really good now. Uh-uh. Life for me got a lot more difficult. I mean, it got really good, but it got more more difficult. You know, but that's why the promises that we hear from God are so important. My grace is sufficient for you, for the powers are perfected in weakness. That's what God tells us, you know? And Paul says, "I'd rather boast in weakness. Why? Why would you rather boast in weakness? So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. For I am when I'm weak, I am strong." Is what he goes on to say. It's okay to talk to one another about our struggles. They will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. Confess your sins to one another. Does anybody know why? so that you will be healed, pastor. That's why we do it. We live in community together. That's what separates us from the world. That's what, uh, that's what Francis Schaeffer calls the mark of the Christian. I tried my best with that word. The mark of the Christian. It was like a hybrid there. What was I thinking? But part of that also means that we need to be available to one another, Friends. You know, on that same note, if you have a friend, hear me here. if you have a friend, a coworker, a spouse, a loved one who's, who's confided in you, or you may think that they're thinking about harming themselves, what do you do? If they've confided in you, uh, the first thing is, never make a promise that you can't keep. Never tell them, "I promise I won't tell anyone." Because sometimes you have to, especially if you're watching and you're a student. I see some young folks in the back. If somebody talks to you about this issue, you got to get help. You go to a parent, you go to a trusted loved one, you go to a teacher, a guidance counselor. you got to talk to somebody. You need to. You, and, and, and just believe me, believe me, because I've seen it happen that, that the person is going to ultimately thank you for your, for your faithfulness as you have to put your friendship maybe on hold in order for their health, for their life. And this leads to another question. What can, uh, how can I tell if, if somebody's about to, or maybe contemplating suicide? I just have four things up there, mainly because the screen is, well, this screen's huge. But it just doesn't hold a ton. Uh, if you see somebody that's persistently sad, crying for no real apparent reason unless they're a a 10 or an 8 year old girl (laughs) you know if if somebody's starting to miss a lot of work and a lot of school where otherwise they were faithful if they've experienced or expressing that they've experienced hopelessness if they're they're coming to you and and they're saying they're worthless if they're saying I just want to end it all These are some of the signs, friends. And what do you do if somebody's saying these things? And and it's a combination of things. It's not just one of them, but what do you do? You have to ask this question. It's not complicated, friends. It's just really hard. Have you thought about suicide? For the longest time, it used to be that that the advice was, don't use that word. You don't want to plant any thoughts in their mind, but that won't happen. They're already thinking about it. And if they're not, they'll go, whoa, no, I would never do that. Secondly, if they confess, or if they say, yes, I've been thinking about that, or if somebody comes to you and says they've been thinking about that, it needs to be taken seriously. There are no idle threats anymore, friends. 25% of 18 to 24-year-olds, 25% have contemplated suicide in the last six months. There's no more idle threats. Everyone needs to be taken seriously. And get help. And you'll notice if there's a number for help up there, if you want to jot that down, uh, you can do that. You know, uh, there's also, I'm told, tonight right here on site, there's counselors that I want to talk with you and help you. There's pastors here that want to pray with you and love on you. If this is you, you need to get help, and it needs to be tonight. Not tomorrow morning when you feel better. It needs to be Tonight. Uh, another way that, uh, that, that you can get involved is, is through stand to reason, right? I, I, I put out resources on this stuff. I have uh, these cards here with me tonight that if they're out somewhere, and if you fill one out and get it back to me, I 'll send you this presentation and, and all my notes on this topic, along with two or three blog articles that I've written on it, just to get you w- resources. So you're just going to grab one of these, fill it out and hand the portion back to me. I want to be there for you and help. Friends, what the, what the world wants us to place our hope in is meaningless. That, 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 that steady, unchanging relationship with the God of the universe, that's the only thing that really ultimately matters. You know, so many times, friends, so many times the world's going to want to have us place our hope uh, in something different. We want to judge ourselves by, by how many likes a post get or how many friends we have on Facebook for crying out loud. We place so much value and worth in that. How my Instagram account's doing. What? Check Insta. That's where we derive our purpose. We find our purpose and meaning in girlfriends and boyfriends, husbands, wives, jobs, money, none of that. It's all fleeting, friends. You'll all come up empty. So as I finish up, just let me me remind you who you are, Christian, let me remind you that you were made in the image of God. He knits you together in your mother's womb. He calls you by name. He's numbered the hairs on your, not for me and you. But everybody else, he's numbered the hairs on your head. He goes with you whether you whether you whether you lay down or stand up, whether you go up to the heights of heaven or down to Sheol. He's always with you, cannot escape his presence, and he calls you loved one. He calls you son, he calls you daughter, and his love for you is consistent, and you'll never stand before him more righteous than you do right now. Did you know that, Christian? There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate you from that. This is who you are. And when we place our identity in the fact that God loves us uh, without explanation, there's no escaping the fact that we have value of infinite worth, we're meaningful, we're purposeful, even when we find ourselves in circumstances that are gonna tell us not to place any worth in this life. Press on, my friends. Jesus loves you so much that he went to the cross for you. At the beginning of our time together, we started with these words by William Cowper, encompassed with a thousand dangers, weary, faint, trembling, with a thousand terrors, I in a fleshly tomb and buried above ground. Friends, the same man, this same man who wrestled just as so many of us wrestle, had a friend in John Newton. He was encouraged to press on through his trials. He was encouraged to press on through his losses. And he was reminded of the grace of God found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he pressed on to pen these words There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till on that ransomed church of God are safe to sin no more. Since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die, when this poor lispering, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save, press on brothers and sisters, press on, thank you.
0: All right, why don't you, everybody just stand for a moment, just stretch a little bit. Um, we have some questions that have been asked of us, and I would like to try to get you out of here by 8.30, so <laughs> we have about 22 minutes to deal with questions. Um, so we're going to do a quick changeover, just stretch a little bit, and uh, we're going we're to deal with those questions, so when you're ready, sit back down, and we'll, we'll start taking questions. Is that... Who said we're used to? Was it over here? (laughs) (laughs) Praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, that's good. (laughs) Hey, John, one thing that um, when you mentioned legalism, I was thinking about um, the suicide rate in non-Christian cults and how um, I've heard that (laughs) people who are involved in legalistic cultic movements, there's a really really high rate of suicide that doesn't get a whole lot of talk. Yeah, And so it uh, just, just made me think of that. But
1: I was actually, an interesting note is I was actually just up in Bountiful, Utah, which I just love that name, uh, but it's uh, heavily Christian cult is, is there, and suicide is the number one cause of death for those aged uh, 13 to 28.
0: And let's, we'll just put it out there. It is Mormon it country. It is Mormon. I didn't and, know where you were trying no, to No, it's okay. But, <laughs> no, I, and, I, and I think we, we, we're saying it it's in Mormon love. Country. It's Mormon it, it's country. Yeah. It's not that we're trying to bag on anybody. We're just saying it in love. that yeah. if, if someone is, we, we actually broadcast Walk in Truth in Utah.
1: Oh, praise the Lord. And
0: we're, we're told that we have a lot of uh, Mormon listeners who secretly listen to Christian radio. Yeah, good. And hopefully, prayerfully, and maybe it's you tonight. Um, or maybe you're going to watch this later, if that's you, the gospel says that your sin has been paid for in full. And I love the emphasis that you put there. But I, but I think it's just it's something that's just reality for people who are trying to earn their salvation. It's just, man, it, it can be a heavy burden. Okay, Mike, um, Yes. you have questions for us.
2: I do. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't know where they are. But I do have questions somewhere there <laughs> up, we go. Up on the screen. First one was, uh, who, who, was the, uh, who was the Lego guy in the, in the presentation? <laughs> the
1: Zimri. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and a gold star, if anybody can tell me who Zimri was.
2: Yeah, not a person. Uh, just a yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> go on. Uh, first real question. Uh, does a pastor or a priest have the authority to approve assisted suicide, and should this ever be encouraged? Mm.
0: You're looking at me. Well, I, I would say from, from, let's go back to a worldview sure. standpoint. So when, when you are pro-life, you believe that life begins at conception, at, at conception and ends at natural death. So let me say that one more time. If you're pro-life, truly pro-life, you believe life begins at conception and ends at natural death. So inherent in that word natural is that life and death is God's business not mine. Now, I do want to say that if someone that we love is suffering and, uh, you know, sometimes people make the argument that, well, you know, you'll, uh, you'll be compassionate to your pet and take them out of their misery, you know, kind of thing. Uh, so why wouldn't you do the same for people? But people are the only ones that I know of that are made in the image of God. And Life and death are in his hands. All the days you, I think you referenced Psalm 139, all the days of my life are written in his book before one of them came to pass. And so I would just argue from the sovereignty of God, even if we suffer and none of us want to suffer, and some of you have watched loved ones die and it can be a very difficult situation. But even, you mentioned the momentary light affliction or our suffering, here God often uses that. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand everything, but even the thorn in the flesh that Paul talked about, um, he talked about even rejoicing in that because right. uh, when he's weak, then he's strong. Again, there are, there are many question marks around this, but I'll, I'll just say this. No pastor or priest has the authority to approve assisted suicide because we would be approving essentially a murder. Mm-hmm. And so what we would say is that we want to be by someone's side praying for them, but we can't, we can't make that call. Now, I will say that if someone has a DNR and uh, they are on life-sustaining equipment and they've decided that if they die, naturally that's their choice and I know a lot of people have, have done a DNR and, and they have their wishes there expressed to the family, then that's a little different, situ- that is a different situation. Yeah. And so that's where we would bring, you know, a little bit more light to that and say, someone has a DNR, they don't want to be artificially kept alive, you know, um, that that's, would that's be a it. big difference, right? Yeah. So there's,
1: there's nobody that's actively pursuing the, the killing of that individual in a DNR situation. Yeah, this is, this, is a, this is probably one of the more difficult issues that, that we are wrestling with as far as ethics goes today. Uh, two things, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. Absolutely, Pastor. I mean, we, um, we serve a huge God, friends. And I feel like sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we live in also a supernatural world where miracles happen every day. Every day. And we don't want to necessarily believe that but just because uh, we wrestle with that doesn't mean we have the the authority to, to to do God's work for Him. We continue to believe on God, and we believe His promises that He has on our lives, and also the ones that we're struggling with, right? So, so I read these verses, right? So, their the momentary light afflictions produce in us eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Or, or Paul Paul also says that uh, that that our um, our struggles produce in us right steadfastness, character, proven character right, they, and other, other things, you know, and, and that, that's true because, because if the here and now is not all we have. We have to make sure we don't put on a naturalistic perspective. The majority of the time that you guys experience is outside of this world. It's in a new world, a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and then also, I'm not that big. You're okay. <laughs> I should get back on that Peloton. Um, no, th- there's, there's uh, a... <laughs> There's a, there's a, I don't know if you guys know Annie Johnson Flint, and she's a, she's a poet, hymn writer who's now gone, and she suffered incredibly. Look her up when you get home. But she wrote this in the middle of her suffering. I mean, she was incontinent. She was, she was covered in sores. Uh, she had to be surrounded by pillows uh, because of the pain and anguish that she was in. And she wrote these words, He giveth more grace when the burdens go greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To add an affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplied peace. When we have exhausted, oh, this is so good. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's forgiven is only begun. His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. No matter the circumstances that we find ourselves and our loved ones in, uh, it's important to remember that God is full of grace. And even in the midst of suffering, God can grant us grace that we might not completely understand. And we go in with an eternal perspective as well. We understand that the suffering here is momentary. That's a fact. Uh, and I think that we've all experienced stuff like that. So that's a hard question. That's a
2: good one. All right. Easy one this time. Okay. <laughs> how can I comfort and encourage someone I know whose child has committed suicide? How do you, how do you go to a parent And comfort them. Yeah,
1: so I'm a direct guy. If you if you didn't notice from my speaking, like I'm just I lay it all out there. I just go to them. Just let them know you had. I'm so sorry. And they've heard it a thousand times, but it's meaningful. Uh, Send cards. Don't avoid the topic. Don't avoid the topic. That's, that's one of the things, like, the, the church is, is so good at on Sunday morning. I'll be in a massive fight with my wife. Like, my cow will be blowing up. The kids are screaming at each other. And I get out all of a sudden. How's it going, Pastor John? Oh, fantastic. Blessed.
0: <laughs>
1: you know? It's like, no, I'm miserable right now. I messed up with my wife. She's mad at me. My kids are awful. Like... No, I just want to be real with somebody. So that, that extends to the same thing with, with your friends who are suffering great loss and trials. They will, know you are my lo- they will know
0: you are my disciples by how you love one another. One thing I would say, too, is that we do have some families uh, that I am aware of that have walked through this and have lost someone to suicide. And so I was thinking of 2 Corinthians 1 where it says that, we can, uh, he, that God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So if you're aware of someone who maybe as a family walked through this and, um, and you know, for, for some, they would say it's become at least a part of their ministry to minister to others who are broken. I would just say that maybe, maybe you ministering to them, as you just mentioned, Pastor, but also saying, hey, there are some people that I'm aware of that you could talk to who have been through this and they yeah, can comfort good. you. Because I do think that there is a power in having been through something. And of course, none of us would want to, to go through that. But uh, you know, what, one of the things that comes to mind is Greg Laurie and what he went oh through uh, with the loss of his son and how much ministry has come out of uh, sometimes uh, losses like this. So I think both those things could be helpful. And just saying, hey, I'm here for you. And, You know, if you need an ear, if you need a shoulder, Mm. I'm here to pray for you, and yeah.
2: All right, next. Okay, what are the signs to look for in children, adolescents, and adults who are depressed, or maybe suicidal? So I'm guessing it might be different for the three different age groups, or the common themes, or?
1: Yeah, it's actually pretty common across age groups. Uh, Kids are actually a little bit more, they wear their emotions on their sleeves, right? So you can kind of tell. With kids, a little bit better than adults. Uh, adults will throw themselves into the into their life, into their work, or whatnot, and find a distraction. Where kids generally are pretty, uh, they lay it kind of out there, especially with their friends. You know, so uh, one of my goals in life, and we'll see how we do. You can talk to me in 15 years and see how this went. Is to be. I want to be that that parent that that all my kids' friends want to be around you know so then i'm hearing the talk and the chatter and and able to discern uh, what's going on not just in my kids' lives but also in in the in the lives of uh, of their friends you know as i seek to disciple them but the signs were i mean i only i only put four up there but there's there's a, there's so many and um, afterwards if you guys have questions there's a website that was in my presentation, I left it down there, that you can go to and check off uh, or look up the signs to look at them. But they're, they're, uh, if, if somebody who's normally pretty laid back all of a sudden is becoming very anxious, if they were once uh, not active sexually and all of a sudden they become promiscuous, any major changes in behavior that is pretty radical, if they start missing work or school, if their studies fail or drop off, if sleep patterns change radically or they start looking disheveled in their appearance where once you know they looked... I mean, some people just look disheveled, you know. It's <laughs> usually me. Um, so I can say that from experience. But, you know, but these are the things that you look for. Any types of changes in behavior, and, of course, expressions of, of uh, hopelessness, despair, worthlessness. Uh, and then you just ask the question, you know, are, have you thought about committing suicide? Have you thought about suicide? It's not have you thought about harming yourself. Oh, that's another one, self-harm. That is huge right now uh, with, with kids. The cutting and burning and, and other forms of self-harm. And that, that, uh, that often uh, gets progressively worse and, and can result.
0: One thing I was going to mention too is that you guys know that we have uh, pastors who are licensed counselors and we have others in our sphere of ministry that are licensed and have degrees in counseling that are part of our team to minister to people. So if if something is, so to speak, above your pay grade and you're like, I don't know what to do with this, yeah. uh, if you come to one of us and just say, hey, I know someone who's in trouble, we can refer out to people who have a background in education in this. So uh, that's something important to know. There was a part B. What part does drugs and mental illness play in suicide?
1: Yeah. Uh, one of the issues, one of the... Not issues. There's lots of issues. One of the struggles with suicide as a topic is, well, uh, once somebody dies by suicide, you can't. I'm not being flippant. You can't ask them why, and what was the cause, and uh, drugs. They play a role for for sure. Uh, You know, mental illness plays a role, but the data is telling us that it's something more that's going on. It's, uh, and I firmly believe it's. I'm not. I'm firmly believe that it's spiritual. Uh, a lot of it, and I 'm not shunning mental health. If, uh, and, and I 'm just going to be clear, like if, if you are depressed, please see a doctor and get on meds. I've seen them work really, really well for people. You know uh, I'm not saying that it's, it's, like it, it's all demonic activity, but we live in a world that 's believing a ton of different lies, and people are placing their value and worth in things that, that, that they ought not. And uh, we need to keep that in mind. So uh, how do drugs and alcohol and, and, and uh, mental illness play? As of right now, the slight majority of people who die by suicide have never been, uh, 54% have never been diagnosed with a mental illness. I'm not saying that they, they're not uh, mentally ill at all, but they haven't been diagnosed. So we got to go where the data goes. As far as drug abuse, um, it's, it, yeah, it's hard to tell. That's one of the issues with this, uh, with this topic, is you read. It's funny you read these these scientific papers and all this literature. I've read these books, and the author goes on pages and pages and pages of why people commit suicide. But then at the end of the chapter, but we really don't know. You know, we used to think it was suicide notes, but now it's now we're finding out that notes actually are very unreliable, as to why uh, people are d- doing or committing suicide. You know, not always truthful in the notes.
2: You mentioned that you're very direct when you approach somebody about their feelings, one of the questions we had from, from, uh, from someone was, if you know somebody in your family is struggling with dark thoughts, what are mm. some of the questions you ask? Maybe, if they're, maybe they're not as direct as you are, but is there any other questions they could ask to maybe draw that out of them? Yeah, it's gonna be the, well, if, if you at all think that, that your loved one
1: is gonna die by suicide or harm themselves at all, you just ask the question. And it may seem like it's out of left field, but it doesn't have to be. Hey, you know, Billy, you know, I've just noticed X, Y, and Z, and your behavior's changed in the last three months. And, uh, you know, I just, I just actually went to a church. I just heard this talk on suicide. Have, have, have you ever thought about dying by suicide? Is that ever on your mind? You know, no, I, I'm just wondering. And, it, and you'll be surprised how people react. Uh, studies are showing, studies are showing right now that when you use that verbiage, when you say, have you thought about suicide, rates are drastically declining with those people because now it's out there. And like I said at the very beginning of the talk, when we shine light on sin, there's healing. And when we start talking about these things directly, we we see a major, uh, there's a major effect. That's one of the number one preventers of of suicide is asking that direct question. So that's what I'd say. It doesn't have to be like, yo, are you going to kill yourself? Like, don't say that. You know, but but go to them and say, hey, I I care for you. I love you. Recently, I just heard this talk or recently I've been thinking about this issue. Some of your behavior is kind of concerning to me.
0: Uh, Maybe you might want to talk about it, but have you ever thought about dying? One thing to think about is when things are brought into the light, they lose their power. That's right. And so when, when something is in a dark corner, it can be much more powerful. When it's brought into the light, it loses power. And when Christ's light shines on it, it, of course, is going to lose power. And so that's where we say, hey, we try to bring it into the light. We do it tactfully. We do it with compassion. Mm. But um, that's where I think people will find hope. And especially understanding, as you said, that they're not alone, that a lot of people are struggling with, with stuff like this.
2: Next one. All right. next one. Uh, this, one's, this one's rough. Uh, this person said they know a 10-year-old uh, who witnessed uh, the passing of two infant siblings who had health problems. Uh, on top of that, um, he's, he's, he's bullied, or he or she, I'm not sure, uh, and that uh, they're actually told by a bully that they should kill themselves. And how do you, how do you help a kid like that? Oh, shoot.
1: That's heartbreaking. I'm so sorry. To whoever answered this question, I mean asked this question, oh man, um, I just want to pray for you, uh, but I would say, similar to what you just said, you are currently right now, if this is a real situation and you're in this room, you're at a church that has resources for you. This is so far above my pay grade that I would say that you, you got to get some help. Uh, through a professional uh, person bullying is no joke and uh, and it needs to stop so if this is your son or daughter that's being bullied it needs to stop and uh, like now so we need to help you take steps in how to get that to
0: stop um and, Pastor, yeah. part, part of what I think... That's a hard one, man. When you talk about the body and you talk about the community, so you mentioned something very important, which is that we have people who have this background professionally. But the other thing is that the body of Christ can encircle a family right. and try to love them through stuff like this. And once it's brought into the light, there are multiple, um, you could say, directions through which ministry can come to a person and a family. It's not just singular, yeah. right? There's all these gifts in the body of Christ and all these different good. strengths that we have that we can minister to a family. And sometimes it's hospitality, sometimes it's meals, sometimes it's prayer warriors who commit to pray for a family. It's a professional who has the background. It's a pastor who you know, is a listening ear and praying with the family. There, there's, there can be multiple ways to address stuff like this. So I would just say, please get help. Please talk to us and let us h- help at least get some of the early steps going. Is it practical to say,
2: as a parent, I'm just going to pull my kid out of that school? Um, are, you, are you taking your, your kid out of, you know, are you coddling your child or is that something that you need to do as a parent to protect your child? I don't know if it's coddling
1: your child to get them away from somebody who's telling them he should kill himself. Um, but my concern is, is, if it's not your child, this bully is gonna say the same thing if he hasn't already done uh, a number of other people. So the, the problem isn't your child, the problem right. is, is this, this, this other child.
2: Right, but you can't pull them out of school.
1: Well, you can't, but, but <laughs> you, can, you can certainly uh, seek the advice uh, of wise counsel of people. This is, this is kind of the, the main thrust, if you guys caught it through the whole talk, is you're not alone. There are people in this room even right now, an audience this size, there's somebody right here who's gone through a very similar situation. Maybe not exact details, but you can, like you said, community. Talk to people who have been through this. Experiences matter. You know, how did they solve it? You know, how did they, what, what route did they go? But I don't think, I mean, I think pulling, pulling your kid out of the school is one possible avoidance, but I think it's a band-aid. Uh, well, to, and
0: the other thing is, you need to be on that administrator's doorstep, absolutely, and making sure that they're aware of it. And that may be what you need to do is pull them out of there. But maybe you know, let's let's start with let's talk to the school and let's see, you know, about them pulling that kid in, and making sure that that's confronted, so sure. he doesn't do it to other kids as well. This may, this person is obviously very vulnerable, but the bully needs to be addressed. Yeah. And so I would just say yeah. that that parent should go to the administration, and whatever help they need, if someone needs to go with them, then let's do that so that that is addressed.
2: I'd say, I think as a parent, you need to be on top of it. Like you said, go to the school. But if it persists, and it often does, you know, kids are going to be kids, then I think it's your responsibility to take care of your own. Um, Last question, um, what if somebody is in this dark spot, and they don't want to be helped, they don't want to listen to you, they don't want to hear your counsel,
1: yeah, do do so this is
2: another one I get almost every, every location, every time I've given this talk, this
1: is a question I've gotten. Uh, if it's a student, um, you gotta, you got to find help for them. They don't have full cool control over where they sit and the audience that they, they maintain, right? You can get your kid or, or somebody else in a counseling situation, but, I mean, you can make your kid do it. It's not pleasant. It might be hard, but it'd be worth it. If it's an adult... This is one of the hardest things for me to say, but you can't force somebody to get help. I don't know if you guys have ever had any experience with people who are addicted uh, to drugs, alcohol, whatever, and they don't want help. You can't, you can't force it. I mean, uh, you, you, know, you, can, you can bring them into your house for a certain amount of time, but if they don't want the help, they're not going to get clean. And it's the same thing with suicide. If somebody's, uh, died, and I hate to say this, but if they're dead set, on doing this, they're gonna do it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do. That doesn't mean we don't do anything, right? We do whatever we can. You know, be a thorn in that person. Be a stand the reason we have the saying "stone in their shoe," right? We put a stone in their shoe, something for somebody to think about. Well, be, be an annoyance, a nice annoyance for this person, letting them know like I'm I'm here for you always. I know that I know that you're going through this, and I just want to let you know i'm here for you i'm going to be here for you tomorrow I'm going to be here for you to, you know in, in two weeks so uh, just so you're making yourself available, but you can't force them unfortunately, sometimes you know with my friends and my cousin, I wish I could have, but
2: you can't force somebody in the help
0: Mike there's another one up
2: there I got one more uh, okay uh, like it cuts off a little bit um, he,
0: So it's basically, it's (laughs) basically (laughs) someone who, um, oh, it's back there. It's back here. Okay. Let's see. How do we summarize this question? (laughs) Okay, so I think what basically what is being said there is the f- the fear of God kept this person from committing suicide. Is that what you guys read there? I barely... Okay, anyway.
2: So the question is that they know someone who God? has contemplated suicide but <laughs> the fear of doing that and then going to hell as a result oh. has kept them from carrying it <laughs> out. Yeah. And the
1: Historically speaking, the, the group of people who experience suicide the least are Catholic women. And it's a lot to do with guilt. Um, the Catholic Church, if any of us have Catholic backgrounds, will, will teach you that suicide's a mortal sin. You commit suicide, you go to hell. And the fear of going to hell keeps many Catholic women, in particular, from actually following through with these, these thoughts. Now, uh, two things. Just because someone doesn't follow through, the very fact that they're seriously considering this means they need some help. So it's important that, that we follow through on our relationship with them to get them the help that they need, even if they're not really going to do it because of guilt. Uh, two, second, the guilt uh, isn't m- maybe always going to be be persistent. It, it, it may let up. I have a, uh, I have a, a friend who just died by suicide, Mike. Mike Adams. And uh, oh man, Mike, uh, he died what a month ago. He was uh, uh, somebody I looked up to, and I, I had him up to our church to speak a couple years back, and he was. Uh, Passionate that I get this talk up and running. I didn't know he struggled with thoughts of suicide, but I tend to think that maybe one of the things that stayed off his actually uh, going through with it was a sense of guilt. You know, uh, more related to not necessarily whether or not he had a right standing with God or how would this affect God, but more as a Christian witness. He was prolific in his ministry. Uh, Free speech advocate, uh, UNC Wilmington professor. He, he sued Wil, Wilmington uh, and went all the way to Supreme Court and won, and that's how he got his tenure, and he was a thorn in their side for 15 years, man, because he couldn't get fired. So he would say whatever was on his mind, and he was so good. Look him up, Mike Adams, amazing work. But I think what happened is, is eventually, you know, these thoughts increased in him, and his Christian witness, the guilt... That was associated with possibly following through uh, started to subside more to, well, maybe this is going to solve my problems, and that lie becomes palpable.
0: And, and what I would add is that there's a healthy fear of God, there's a biblical yeah. <laughs> fear of God that, that we need to talk about, and That's the good. fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so I want to please God, um, I, I want to make sure I'm honoring my Father, there, there's multiple levels to the, the healthy fear of the Lord to keep us from making, you know, uh, dumb or destructive decisions. But the idea of the Roman Catholic point of view, and, you know, a lot of former Roman Catholics joke that they attended Our Lady of Perpetual Guilt. (laughs) That was their home church. Oh, man. uh, Yeah. Anyway, but, but I would just say this, that a healthy fear of the Lord can be a good thing.
1: Absolutely. Well, so, and, and I kind of flew through this section a little bit more because I saw time was down the road. Believe it or not, I didn't say everything I had to say. Uh, yeah. um, but, but Solomon, I, when you read the ends of Ecclesiastes, right, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, and he goes through, it's like chasing after the wind. And the way he concludes here is, fear God and keep his commandments, uh, for this is man's all. So what he's saying is that we have a healthy fear of the Lord and we do what he says. And when we do that, we can be guaranteed not an easy life, not a happy life, but a good life because it ends in the lap of God with your Savior Jesus Christ. You know, and that's how he ends with that. You know, It's a healthy fear of the Lord uh, that, that drives a lot of what we do. You know, um, in one, yeah, I won't go on. Because I'll get myself in trouble. But I
0: love what you said, too, and we're, we're over our time, but I love the fact that you said there's more ahead of us than is behind us. Oh, absolutely. And when that hope is the anchor of our soul, you mentioned Romans 5 proven character and proven character, yeah, so hope, good. and that hope does not That's right. disappoint. That's right. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit so who is given to us. Amen.
1: Praise Thank Lord. you
0: for being a patient group tonight. Would Thank you, you stand? So, if you need help tonight, I, I I mentioned, and Pastor John had mentioned, that um, there are people available, and uh, that we will point you to them if you need counsel or help in any way. There's also people who are waiting to pray with you tonight, and so if you need prayer, um, we you can come forward. You can talk to any of the pastors, and we'll we will direct you towards where the person that you need to talk to. Please don't leave here tonight without being prayed for. Now, Mm. since we're over our time, I think we're just going to close in prayer right now and uh, invite you that if you do need help, you would come forward and seek that help out from us. Again, let me emphasize, please don't leave here with something hanging that you need help with, okay? And especially if you've not met Jesus Christ, As your Lord and Savior, let this be the night that you trust in him fully for your salvation and rest in his finished work that your sins have been paid in full at the cross and through the resurrection. And you can know that hope and you can have that the ultimate burden of sin and death lifted from you by trusting in the one who is our very life. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for Pastor John. Thank you for Mike Massaro. Thank you for all of those who made this night possible. We are grateful for the team of servants here. I pray for each and every precious soul that has uh, joined us tonight or will watch this later. Please reach out to them with your everlasting love. You love people more than we can imagine. And I pray that each and every soul that has interacted with this content, will find their hope in Jesus. So, Lord God, I just ask that you would minister your grace to your people and minister to those who don't know you. Draw them to yourself. And I thank you so much that we've had this night to spend together. Bless Pastor John and his family. Give them traveling mercies as they return home. Thank you for our 633 team and just everyone involved tonight. We love you. We worship you, and we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Do, do you have something, Diane? Say it. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. I wasn't sure what you were. Um, there is a care group, if you deal with anxiety and depression and stuff like that, that meets here at Living Truth, and Dr. Diane Bull is ministering to that group, and uh If you would like to sign up, she will be in the foyer. Just wave, Diane, so everybody knows who you are. She'll be in the foyer, and if you want to talk to her, uh, you can join that group and get some help that you need as well. God bless you all.